This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Typically, when we start an Out of Water podcast, we have Mark commenting on my location because it switches so often. This podcast, I'm running solo, and I don't have Mark, so I'll just go ahead and tell you that I'm in a brand new location. I'm actually in my living room. My kids are awake. It's too hot to be outside. And so I am surrounded by my 12-year-old son, Caleb, on one hand, and my 10-year-old son, Jacob, on the other. And as we talked about last week, we are talking about Psalms of Lament, like what you do when you have a heavy heart, when you're coming across pain or injustice or something that makes you feel hopeless. The Psalms, which one-third of the Psalms are lament Psalms, come to us and give us a little bit of a formula as to how we're to take that pain and go to the Lord in order to find healing. And so, before we jump in, my sons are dying to be radio stars. They don't realize that only 10 people listen to this thing, <laughs> or how, I'm kidding, but however many listen to that. So, I have a couple questions for my sons. Caleb, come over here. You have to speak into the microphone. What are the Psalms? Tell me what the Psalms are. They're songs. Okay, and where would you find them? In Psalms. Which is located in? The Old Testament. All right, good. Old Testament. I was looking for Bible, but Old Testament's okay. even more specific. Yeah. Okay, Who wrote most of them? David. Very nice. All right, Jacob. And what does lament mean? Do you know? No. <laughs> you don't? No, I do not. Well, lament means like if you're really sad and you're coming before God and you're like, oh, I feel so heavy about this and I need to come before you and lay it down. You're lamenting. You're, you're grieving, you're mourning something sad that's happened to you. Tell me, why do you think, what reason do you think people would have to lament or to be sad with God? Um, you just think you're not good enough, and you really are just grieving and in so much pain. And yeah, why, like what's causing the pain? Like what, what do people experience that causes pain? Um, like... A loss of something that's really important to them. Good. Yeah, I think that's good. A loss of something that's important to them or even a person that's important to them. There's a lot of reasons that we have to lament in this life. Really good, Jacob. And so I want to ask you, there's no right or wrong answers, but as a 10-year-old boy going into fourth grade, can you tell me, what do you do when you feel sad? Um... (sighs) I really don't know. You don't know? You never feel sad? Well, I just can't think of anything. All right. Caleb, what do you do when you feel sad? Well, I'll be honest. I pout on my bed. Okay. That's, that's, a, that's a good answer. We talked about that actually in our last week's episode where that's actually in the Psalms. In Psalm 4, it talks about how when you're lamenting, you, you ponder why you're upset on your bed. What else do you do? Does pouting on your bed usually make you feel better? Yeah, no, not really. What usually makes you feel better? Uh, getting, like, getting right with whatever made me sad. 
All right. That's a perfect answer. Getting right with, with what made you feel sad. And what if you can't change those things, Caleb? What if you can't? What if it's some sadness that you have no control over? What do you what do you think? Even if it might not be something that you do, what do you think is the right answer? What should you do with things that make you sad? I pray. Okay. What is how does that help you? Uh because the Lord is listening. And he helps me. How does he help you? He's the creator of all things, so very good. Yeah, he's the creator of all things. He's the only one who is in control of things that we're out of control of. But more than that, when you go to him and you pray, do you know what you're really saying? It's, it gives yourself permission to say, hey, Lord, I'm not in control of this, but I know you are, and I know you're good, and so I'm going to let you handle this, and I'm going to give myself the freedom to lay this down at your feet and just trust you in the moment. And that's really hard when you're sad, right? Like sometimes if you're sad or you're angry, it's really hard to go before God and be like, all right, I'm giving this up. Yeah. Is it, is it usually Jacob's fault? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks, boys. All right. So today we're going to get into uh, an episode. We're going to be covering one particular psalm, and we're going to be talking about some of the literary patterns that show up in the psalms. And we're in Psalm 126. And if you're somewhere where you can have, where you have a Bible and you can open up and follow along, this would be really helpful um, because we're going to talk about a literary pattern that shows up in the Psalms. And and next week when we talk about Psalm 27, we'll talk about another literary pattern that we find in the Psalms. And both of them, uh, both of these patterns are actually instructive in how we interpret the Psalm. So starting with Psalm 126. Uh, this is in the section of the Psalms that are called Psalms of Ascent. And what a Psalm of Ascent is, it goes from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And the idea of a Psalm of Ascent is when, whenever the Jews would be on their way, so for, let's, let's take, for instance, the Jews of Galilee. So like the, the people that Jesus would have headed toward Jerusalem with. Most of the time, they would go into the Transjordan on the east side of the Jordan River. They would walk all the way down the Jordan. And Jordan in the Hebrew literally means to go down. It's Jordan. It's to go down. And the reason is it literally goes down into the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on the surface of the earth that's not beneath water. Um, and it's a long ways below sea level. And so, it's literally the lowest place on the surface of the earth. And so, you've gone down there. And then from there, you turn to the west and you start going up the Jericho Road, which is a pretty steep climb toward Jerusalem. And so it's called the Songs of Ascent or the Psalms of Ascent because you're literally going uphill and you would sing these as you're on the way to Jerusalem. And then when you get to Jerusalem as you're going to the temple, it's another ascent. You're going up the Temple Mount. And so as you're walking up, you're singing these Psalms of Ascent. So they're very much on the lips of the people as they are going to celebrate the annual feast that they're being called to. So, Psalm 126 is actually also, in addition to being a psalm of ascent, it's also a psalm of lament. And that is, you're coming to the Lord with broken dreams. You're coming to Him with pain, and you're having to process this. And the psalms are so wonderful at helping us to do that. As, as we talked about last week, and I've already mentioned out of 150 psalms, roughly a third of them are laments. And 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 modern worship, we don't add a lot of lament to our worship. You know, there, there's something uncomfortable. It almost feels like 
you know, it's not authentic faith if we're, if we're confessing that we're in pain or if we're confessing that we're struggling with something. You know, it's like there's this idea that if you want to be a good Christian of faith, you should just kind of work through it and say, you know, claim the promises of God and just say, oh, this doesn't hurt because, you know, I've got faith. And the reality is, Scripture says, yeah, you, you do claim the promises of God, but you don't ignore the hurts. You have to wrestle through them. You've got to acknowledge them. You've got to bring them before the Lord and wrestle with them. And so, all the Psalms of Lament do that, and it's actually very therapeutic, very healing, just to even pray those things to acknowledge that there's real pain. And there's a formula, in a sense, you know, it's, it's not formulaic to get the healing, but what it invites you to do really does lead you from the place of pain to the place of peace and praise and, and God's promise. And so, they're really helpful. And so, this psalm, Psalm 126, is six verses, but the literary structure that's really fascinating and it serves as kind of an interpretive key to the psalm is that the first three verses, which are all talking about what has been, you know, it's looking at the glory days, the good old days, and, and how God was so faithful, faithful to us in the past, interpret the next three verses, verses four to six. And so, if you look at them side by side, verse one and verse four kind of talk to each other. They're, they're, they're mirroring each other and interpreting one another. Verses two and five do the same thing, and verse three and six do the same thing. So, it's almost like if, you, if they were written in two columns and you folded the piece of paper against each other, you know, sideways, they would meet, and there's a lot of the same language. And so, let me show you what I mean. And in, in verse 1, it says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, well, what's he talking about? This psalm is most likely written when they have come back from the exile. So, the Jews, Jerusalem has been conquered, um, everything that Solomon and David had built is now, you know, destroyed, all the tribes have been taken into exile. And so, it says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. And, and what that means is, like, you know how we talk about, you know, what do you dream of being when you grow up? What, do you, what are your hopes? What are your dreams? And it, they're saying, we're like those who dreamed. There was nothing in front of us that seemed impossible. God had just restored us. It felt like all the wind was at our back. You know, we, there was nothing that could stop us. We were like those who dreamed. There was nothing too big in front of us, right? And so, he's saying, man, when, when God did this for us back in the day, when he overcame our exile in the darkest days of Israel, man, we were like those who dreamed. It was so wonderful. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. And what I want you to notice as you're going through verses 1, 2, and 3, the whole first half of the psalm is all past tense. The Lord restored. We were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. So, it's, in, it's implying we're no longer dreaming. Our mouths are no longer filled with laughter. Our tongues are not filled with songs of joy. It is not no longer said among the nations that the Lord did great things for us. And everything is looking back. It's all past tense. But at the end of verse 3, you have the only, the single present tense sentence or clause in the entire psalm, and that is, and we are filled with joy. And you think, how in the world can, 
can can somebody who's saying all of this is in the past tense, so it's a lament. You know, we had all those things, we were all those things, and yet we are filled with joy. And this is the secret sauce of the Christian life. We can come to these situations where we're lamenting, because the second half of this is all going to be pleased uh, for God to restore things and, and to bring about beauty again. So, why is it that they say they are filled with joy? And it's because they are walking, even in the hard seasons, even in the pain, even through the tears, they are walking with the confidence that the same God who's done all those things for them in the past is going to do them again. They have the absolute assurance, God's covenantal promise that he is going to deliver them, that he walks with them. And therefore, as they're walking through the mess and they are really crying real tears, they are still filled with joy. Because they have the promise, they have a treasure that can't be taken away from them, and that's the Lord himself. And so, the second half of this is echoing the first half. So, verse 1, you remember, it said, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. And then in verse 4, it's, so restore our fortunes, Lord. Restore them again. Be like streams in the Negev. The Negev is the southern part of Israel. It's a desert. And so, when he says, you know, bring streams into the desert... This is how they're feeling. There's no life. There's no hope. And yet they're asking God, we want you to bring source of life and hope into the driest, most barren part of the land. We want you to restore us like you have in the past. And it's echoing verse one. You know, when it says we were like those who dreamed, like the idea of that is there's nothing impossible. Well, what's impossible? Streams in the Negev would be impossible. And yet the psalmist is saying, do that. Bring life into the region of death. Restore our fortunes, Lord. Verse 5 is going to echo verse 2. And if you remember, verse 2 is, our mouths were filled with laughter. And, and the reason why it puts it that way is it's, it's almost like feasting. You know, your, your mouth is full with laughter. You know, laughter is not a physical substance, but it's, it's communicating that it's, there's a harvest, there's a feast going on, there's an abundance. Our mouths are filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. There's, there's just this exuberance that are, that's going on among the people because God has redeemed them and restored them. And then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. That's verse two. And so verse five has this, the other side of the coin. It, it's, it's, you know, we used to have that. But it's a pleading with God to, to reverse their fortunes right now, to restore their fortunes. And he says something really beautiful. He says, those who sow, this verse 5, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. So in verse 2, you have this very obvious kind of gesture toward feasting. Our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. And in verse 5, it's it's... It's looking with this hopeful attitude that there's going to be a feast again. But first, before we feast, we have to go out and sow. We are going to sow, expecting a great harvest in which we'll feast again. And so it says, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. That joy, that feast is going to come again, but it's going to be on the other side of these tears. And so it comes, this lament comes with this built-in expectation that joy is around the corner. Man, this this sets apart the Christian faith from just about every other worldview or religion that you can think of. If, if you go around the world, 
pretty much every religion or major philosophy comes to the table to answer the primary question of how do we make sense of suffering and death in our world. And so you'll you'll come across faiths that say, you know, pain is an illusion, you know, it, it's just something that you have to put out of your mind or or it's you know, a karma, or you can say it's a punishment from the God, it's a test. All these different s- systems come with all these different explanations for why there are tears in the world. But Christianity stands alone at saying, when you go before the Lord and you're sowing with tears, well, what does that mean? It means that your tears aren't wasted, that pain is not an illusion. You cry real tears, you hurt. Pain is also not merely a test that's being thrown on you as though it itself is an evil and you've got to overcome it to get something. So you're not, you know, it's not necessarily that you're delivered from your tears. You're delivered through them. You know, you're going out sowing with tears. These tears have purpose. There's, there's meaning behind them. And the Lord, you know, it's, it's like in the, in the New Testament, how many times does it say things like, all these present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us, or that you know our suffering is is mounting up an eternal weight of glory for us. All of these things, the Christian perspective, the biblical perspective of suffering is that when you invest your tears, I mean, you can cry and say, "Oh, this is pointless," and then all of your tears are wasted. You know, then then they really are wasted, and there's no hope in them. But when you invest your tears in the Lord, when you say, you know what, this hurts, but I'm going to trust you with them, it says, then you will reap with songs of joy. On the other side of this, there's going to be a joy. There's going to be songs, and he's going to restore that. Remember verse 2, that your mouths are filled with laughter and, and with our tongues with songs of joy? That's going to come back. And so, the first half of the psalm, what's really, really important about this is it's, it's remembering what God has done. And in every lament, one of the keys that you'll find when David or whoever it is writes a psalm of lament, one of the things that you almost always find is, you have always been faithful to me in the past, and therefore, I am going to set my trust and my hope that you are going to be faithful to deliver me in the future. And one of my favorite things that they used to do in the Old Testament, I've mentioned this before, but I love this idea, this concept, it's helpful is every time Israel or the people of God were against some situation that just seemed absolutely hopeless beyond the ability to redeem, God would come through. He would do this amazing thing. He would part the Red Sea. He'd separate the Jordan. He'd bring them, you know, a military victory that seemed absolutely impossible. And then he would say, okay, I want you to go around and I want you to gather up what were called memorial stones, and I want you to stack them up into a pillar so that every time future generations come by this spot, when they're in those situations where they feel like things are hopeless, like there's no way that God could come through, they're going to look at this stack of stones and they're going to remember, oh yeah, he did that. He rescued us then, and he rescued us then, and they're going to look around, and all throughout the land of Israel are scattered these reminders that God has always been faithful. When you thought there was no hope, when you thought everything was going dark, God has delivered you from every single past instance. And so, if he's always been faithful in the past, every lament needs to be built upon this confidence, this knowledge that he's always been faithful. He did restore us before. You know, he did all these things for us in the past. 
and I trust him to do them again. Why? Not because I earn them, not because he owes me, but because he's good and he's promised that to me. And that's why that present tense, we are filled with joy. It's not that our situation's great. It's not that, you know, we're laughing because the, the psalm says we're not. And yet we are filled with this confident joy that he is going to deliver us. We know the end of this story. And so verse six, it says, those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow. Do you get like right that first half of verse six? It's, it's like, you know, I've, I've got this pain you know, I've got this thing that I lament over, whatever it might be, a diagnosis, a failing marriage, you know, regrets in parenting, all of those things. Like, I don't go out weeping just for the sake of weeping. I'm carrying seed to sow. I'm going to believe that as I weep and as I'm lamenting and I'm going before God, I'm not just doing it in vain. I'm going to give purpose to these tears. I'm going to take them to the Lord. I'm going to plead with Him to do beautiful things through them. I'm going to be casting seed, expecting that out of my tears that are falling down into the earth, that they're going to be like seed, and God is going to create a harvest out of my tears. Now, that is beautiful. That means that your tears are actually accomplishing something. They're bringing about life. They're bringing about hope. And it says... Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy. And there's verse 3. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. Well, verse 6 is those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, they have purpose to those tears. They're going to return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Well, what are sheaves? It's, it's the harvest. The very place where you went out weeping carrying that seed, not knowing what it was going to look like, not seeing any fruit, but just dropping your tears, trusting the Lord, they're going to return with songs of joy, carrying a great harvest that the Lord has given to them as a result of those tears. That is the God we serve. And so when we come to this lament, you know, one of the things I love is in in, in each of these Psalms uh, that you find so many of them, I shouldn't say each of them, so many of these psalms have these literary patterns that if you pay attention, they kind of interpret one another. So, in this one, we see a chiasm that comes as two waves, verses 1 to 3, then match up with verses 4 to 6. And the idea is all of our petitions for what God will do in the future, verses 4 to 6, are entirely rooted out of what he's already done for us in the past, verses 1 to 3. And so, as a Christian, you know, on this side of the cross, you know, our verses 1 to 3, when we come to the Lord and lament, it's, it's like, man, I, I can think of so many things in my life where, where you think, gosh, you know, I so, I feel like my dreams are withering. I feel like the country's falling apart. I feel like all these things where I have these such high hopes just seem to be crumbling and withering and things seem to be dying. The love of people seems to be growing cold. Hatred is seeming to build. Lord, like, man, I remember better days from this. Can you restore those? I remember when when I felt your anointing. I remember when my marriage was healthy. I remember, I mean, fill in the blanks. Like, what is it where at that, that part of your life you look at and go, man, I remember when things were sweet and right now they taste really bitter. How would you pray that as a lament? You go before the Lord and you said, you say, gosh, 
Lord, I remember when you did beautiful things in my life where I felt loved and where I felt enjoyed, where my marriage was healthy and my business was thriving and my hopes for the future were, were radiant. We were like those who dreamed. It was like there was nothing that was, nothing could go wrong. We just felt like everything was going in our favor and that's just not the case anymore. I remember when we used to laugh. I remember when things were joyful and it doesn't feel that way anymore, God. But I know you are the God who's rescued us before. You've done amazing things in my life. You've done amazing things in the life of my family. I've seen it. And your promise to me is that in the midst of my tears, in the midst of my pain, I am to take heart in knowing that you promise good to me, that you're going to conform me into your image. And that might come through tears, but you also promise that joy comes in the morning. And so I'm going to walk in the confidence of knowing that you're with me, knowing that I'm not forsaken, knowing that the God who has saved me in the past will save me in the future. And I'm going to put my hope in a God who brings resurrection. And even now when I might not be able to see the harvest, even right now when I might not be able to see what in the world you are up to, I'm going to invest these tears. I'm going to invest these tears. I'm going, to, I'm going to treat them like seed. I'm going to go before you and I'm going to cry these tears of pain, real pain. And I'm going to say, Lord, I want you to use this to bring about a mighty harvest so that one day I can come back and this, even this, you will have transformed into another reason for me to build a pile of memorial stones at your faithfulness to overcome even this. And I will return to Jerusalem in this psalm of ascent, coming to worship you with songs of joy carrying sheaves from the great harvest. That's how we process. That's how we're invited to process our lament. And one of the things that I love about these psalms is that we know that these were on the lips of Jesus. When he was entering, you know, his final trek, he went from Jericho, you know, in the final miracles where um, he dined with Zacchaeus and Jericho. You know, when he's walking up the Jericho road on his way to Jerusalem to lay down his life for us, he's singing this psalm. And he's going to go into Jerusalem and these tears of lament are not going to be a strange thing to him. He's going to weep over Jerusalem. And he's going to to trust the Lord. And he's going to go to the cross. And I love the way that he, the book of Hebrews puts it. It says that he endured the cross for the joy set before him. He wept those tears, invested them. And on the other side, the resurrection, he returns to the Father with songs of joy, carrying a great harvest with him. And we are that harvest because he invested those tears. So that needs to be how we process pain, is going before the Lord, not not ignoring the pain, but trusting the God who's sovereign over it and believing his promise. And so that concludes um, our devotional, our devotional podcast on Psalm 126. Next week, we will uh, come together again to take a look at Psalm 27, which also has a really beautiful literary structure to it that helps you interpret that. And that's just such a powerful psalm. And so thank you so much for joining us today uh, as we take a look at the psalms and how we process pain. I hope that this has been um, 
edifying or encouraging to your faith and that it can be something that's useful for you. Don't run away from lament. We have a God that's big enough and beautiful enough that he can take your tears and uh, bring about a mighty harvest from them. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.